0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Read our scripture for today's sermon. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we're going to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let us pray. Dear Lord, during this time, how can we not give you glory for what you have given us? Because from the beginning to now, you saw our need. You saw our need for a Savior. And you sent the most precious gift you could send, which was your son. And we just thank you for that. Lord God, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, that you reveal to us that there is still today joy and hope and love and kindness and gentleness, that those things can be found in you, and help us, Lord, to also share those things with a hurting world. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Great to see each and every one of you today. We have many who are out traveling. We want to remember them and our our prayers. And uh, just great to be able to worship with you on Christmas Sunday in this capacity. And I hope I'll give one more plug for our Christmas Eve service. I hope you will make plans to attend from 5 to 6 tomorrow. It's one of my favorite services of the year, and it just help us, helps us in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of the season to just kind of take a break and remember what it, we're truly celebrating for. Today, we are in our fourth week of our Advent series, and uh, during Advent, we as Christians do two different things. Uh, Number one, we look back. We look back to the Christmas story, namely Jesus coming into this world in the likeness of man to save us from our sins, and we celebrate the glorious truth of the Christmas story. But during Advent, we actually don't just look back. We look ahead because how many know He's coming again? As a matter of fact, it's going to be a lot different than he came the first time. The first time he came as a humble baby born in a manger. But how many know he's coming back as a conquering king? He came the first time as a lamb that would be led to the slaughter for the sacrifice of our sins. But not the next time. When he returns, he is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Come on. The first time he came, he was rejected by many. But when he comes back, that shall not be the case, for the Bible declares when he returns that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And so that's what we celebrate during this Advent season, and we've entitled this series Already But Not Yet, because as Christians, we live in an already but not yet season. We, we are already, if we are truly in Christ, we are already, right now, children of God. We already have peace with the Father, right standing with the Father, justification, that is ours. But, how many know we still live in a fallen world full of pain and suffering and heartache and loss, and we're not immune from the suffering of this world but during all of this we get a foretaste of the benefits of the kingdom of God yet we will not know the fullness of the reality of God's the realities of God's kingdom until his return so we're in this already but not yet season well today in light of Christmas I want to talk about the subject of giving as Christians, see, we are called not just at Christmas time, but all of the time to live lives of radical generosity, spending and being spent for the glory of God and the good of others. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to Matthew 22, there's a familiar passage where you would find a good summary of the law of Christ. And Jesus says that we're to do this. As Christians, we are to do two things. Namely, we are to, number one, love God with all of our being. And secondly, we're to love our neighbor as our Love God, love people. That is the summary of the law of Christ. That's what we're to do with our time in this already but not yet season. And so I want to talk about this subject of giving because I believe this, that one of the best ways we can express our love to God is to actually tangibly love the people whom He loves. Amen? So we want to talk about giving. And, you know, I I love one of my favorite parts about the Christmas season is the giving of gifts. Like, I love uh, fellowship. I love the family gatherings. I love, I said last week, I love the cookies. Come on, somebody. And uh, I I love all the festivities. I love the decor. Like, I'm really going to miss this Christmas tree. I love a lot about Christmas, but I love most to give gifts to others. And I love receiving gifts, but I, even more, I like to give gifts. It's been really neat this year. As a matter of fact, I have two boys who are now teenagers, and they have a little bit of their own money. And of their own accord, they each went out and, and bought presents for uh, some of our family members, the ones who they like. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, But it's been remarkable to kind of see the joy that's come upon their lives because even if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, This verse, Acts 20, 35, you probably didn't know it was found there, but you have heard the Scripture. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And even if you're not a Christian, that truth resonates in you that it is better to give than to receive because, friends, we are made in the image of our God, and we're made to give away. And so Christmas reminds us of this call to give. So I want my life as a believer to be lived in radical generosity for other people. Like I want to spend my life, this has been my aim for some time, I want to spend my life for the good of others. But I have this tension in complete transparency with you this morning. Even though that is my aim, at times I get so wrapped up in my own problem, in my own mess, in my own little world, And if I'm really transparent, my own selfishness. And I become a little bit self-centered. And that creates kind of a fog in my life. And I miss opportunities to serve others for the glory of God all around me. And I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way. Because I think we all want to be givers, right? We all want to grow in generosity. Does everybody here today want to grow in generosity? Okay, those who didn't raise their hand, you're Scrooges, all right? We want to grow in generosity. I have a whole different message for you. But listen, we, I know this from 20 years of ministry that, listen, even the most faithful Christians can at times become very, very, very self-centered and miss kind of the world around them. And the great news is this, though. I, I, we're not the first generation, we're not the first church to struggle with this tension as a matter of fact, in our text today, Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul is writing to a, uh, a church in the city of Philippi. They're the first church plant in Europe. And this is in the province of Macedonia. And, and he's writing these believers. This is a very healthy church, very faithful Christians. And yet he's writing them and he's reminding them to live their lives for other People. There's a couple of things that are going on at this church so, to begin with. There's a little bit of division that's happening. It's not discord, but there's a little bit of, of animosity that's beginning to stir there are two stir. There are two women, at least in the church, who have issues with one another. And that hasn't been dealt with, so it seems that members are kind of, of the church are taking sides, and so it's kind of side against side. So you've got that going on. The other thing is this. Paul makes clear in Philippians chapter 1 that the, this church is called to suffer for Christ's sake. And so there's the, this division and then there's this suffering. And Paul is reminding them, hey, believers, remember what's important. Remember, in the midst of suffering, in the, in the midst of disagreement, be on the same page. Be about the gospel and serve other people. And so here's kind of the main thought. I I wrote this at the top of your notes because I want you to get this today. This is the main thought uh, that that I want you to go home with. Here it is. Have the right mind, serve, and be kind. Have the right mind, serve, and be kind. Listen, here's what I mean by that. If you want to serve others and give uh, in radical generosity... If you want to give to others and to the glory of God, you've got to first have the right mind for that to happen. Because our thinking shapes what we do. This is the road to generosity. By having the right mind, this will lead you to the right actions. Philippians 2 verse 1, Paul says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. and here it is again, of one mind. And you know what this tells me? God does not just care about our actions. He actually cares about the heart behind what we do, because how many know it's really easy to do the right thing, but do it for the wrong reason we've got to guard from that as a matter of fact if you go to matthew chapter 6 and jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and to fast and to give and there's a group of people you're probably familiar with called the pharisees and these were the religious elites in the in this first century they were law keepers they were known to to pray often and give often and fast often yet jesus says to his disciples he says When you pray, when you fast, when you give, do not be like them. He calls them hypocrites. Disciples are thinking, you mean we've got to do more than what we do? Jesus says they pray, but when they pray, they're wanting the applause of men. They're wanting to be seen by men. They're They're praying, but they're not praying for the right reasons. When they give, they want to be seen as charitable. They're not doing this for the glory of God. When they fast, they're not doing it for spiritual reasons. They want to look spiritual. They want to be honored on this earth. So Jesus is saying, it's not just what you do that matters. It's the heart behind what you do. We must give, see, when we give and when we're generous, we must do it not for our own glory, but for the glory of God of God. We should be always pointing people beyond us through our generosity and to the one who has been extremely generous to us, Jesus Christ, the one who can change their life. And so here's what Paul does here. He implores these believers and us to be of one mind. Now, what in the world does it mean to be of one mind? Well, it does not mean uniformity. In other words, this morning, all right, don't kick me out of the church for this, but you can actually be a Louisville fan, and you can worship with us Kentucky Wildcat fans, all right? Like, it's all right. Like, we don't recommend that, but if that's you, that's your business. Like, we don't have to have the same preferences on everything. We don't have to like the same foods, and listen, we don't even have to, to like have the same church preferences. Like, we don't have to, as long as it's biblical, like, we're good, you don't have to like the same music style as me and we can yet still worship together. So it's not uniformity that Paul is calling for, but it is instead it is unity. And here's what that means. Being of one mind means this that our thinking is shaped by the gospel. Our thinking is shaped by the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, His coming into this world to dwell among us, and His living a sinless life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His reconciling us to the Father. That is the good news that the New Testament speaks of and the whole Bible points to. Paul mentions the gospel five times in chapter 1. So when he's calling these believers to be of one mind, friends, here's what he's doing. He's saying, be saturated. Let your thinking be saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what that looks like. We may have different preferences. We may, uh, you know, come from different uh, parts of the country and have just different preferences. But Listen. What brings us together is our love and our cherishing of and our savoring of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we can worship next to people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't prefer the same things we prefer because the gospel brings us together. Have the right mind and you will serve and be kind. This begs the question, how then do we have the right mind. How do we become gospel centered in our thinking? Look at verse 1 with me again. Paul says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Here's what he's doing He's asking them to recall all that they have in Christ. The if is not a conditional statement. Every Christian has these things and much more. Here's what I want you to grasp here. A right mind thinks intentionally on the right things, namely on who Christ is and what he's done. So Paul's reminding these believers of what they have in Jesus. He says you have encouragement in Christ. How many of you have been encouraged in Christ? Amen. We have comfort in Christ's love. Are you thankful? For the love of Christ that is steadfast, that loves you even when you fail? Are you grateful? Paul talks about the participation in the Spirit. This is the fellowship with one another we have by being baptized into the same body. We're part of the Capital C Church, and we get to be part of a local church, and this is a great blessing. And then he mentions affection and sympathy, and we all have that in Christ. This speaks of his mercy and his compassion. And see, sometimes here's what happens, friends. We get so caught up in asking God for what we don't have that we forget what we do have. It's give me, give me, give me, give me. And sometimes we need to stop and we need to count our blessings. We are a blessed people. Amen? Paul says this thing in Philippians 4 in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And by the way, he writes this from prison. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Friends, when we learn to meditate on the good that we have in Christ, in all that He's done, in all that He is, it tends to change us from the inside out. And friends, this leads to a life of radical, radical generosity. Have the right mind, serve, and be kind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How countercultural is this? What's the Western world screaming to us in this individualistic culture that we live, shouting at us, it's all about you, right? It's about your dreams. It's about your goals. Don't let anybody hold you back. It's all about you. You and that thought has kind of crept that way of thinking has crept its way into the church. But how many know that the Christian life is not about us? When we come to Christ, we uh, lay our lives down at His feet, and it becomes about Jesus Christ and His glory. And that's a good thing for us because God has for us more than what we have for ourselves. It's incredible. God is faithful, but He has called us to lay down our lives. Paul said in another place, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in this third verse, Paul is saying, listen, if you want to have the right mind, you've got to have a humble mind. One of the issues of today's culture is that we all feel entitled at times, don't we? Everybody feels like the world owes them something. Listen, as Christians, we can't think like this. The world owes us nothing. We have more in Christ than we ever deserve. But even in the church, there's this spirit of entitlement. I read, this is crazy, I read uh, just this week, this happened some time ago, but I just heard about it this week, a church in Dallas, years ago, they had this split. They, They split and it was so bad, in fact, each side of the church instituted a lawsuit against the other. Can you imagine? Ignoring the, the biblical uh, demand not to do that, they're ready to sue each other. The judge kicked it out of the court. He said, this first needs to be handled by the uh, denomination's church court. And so this denomination, this government of the, of the church got involved And they actually awarded the property and the the land, the the real estate, the building, everything to one side of this argument. And the other other opposing side, they didn't repent, they didn't stay, they left and planted another church. That's church growth the American way, right? And so, the Dallas newspapers got a hold of this and probably loved it, right? And here's what they they printed. In all the research this church court found, they actually traced the problem back to the original source. And you know what started this argument? An elder who is like a pastor, a bishop, a leader of a church. An elder was at a church function. Get this. And they were serving food. And he was sitting down at a table and realized that his portion of ham was smaller than the child's who was sitting next to him. He threw a fit, and this caused, ultimately, a church split. Truth, friends, that is entitlement. And that is not to show its face in the church. And you say this morning, well, that's petty. Yes, it's petty. And I think back over the last 20 years to all the arguments and I've seen in the church over colors of walls and church pews versus chairs and how hot or how cold it is. It's all petty. Friends, remember what we have in Jesus, and you realize that all this petty garbage doesn't matter. We need to grow up and be about spending and being spent for other people. We need to have a humble mind. And what's so interesting, the gospel has a way of humbling us because it says to me today, if the gospel is how I'm saved, if the gospel is how I have right standing with God, then it means this, I'm not here because of my own merit or because I am somebody Oh, I'm nothing. It's because of no merit of my own. I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ, period. Which means, who am I to raise myself up and say I'm better than anybody or I deserve this? No, thank God for what you've already done for me. You haven't dealt with me according to my sins, but according to your great mercy. I'd be all right if i never received another thing on this earth, but we serve a God who gives and gives and gives. We're not entitled. We've got to have humble minds. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I just want to point your attention to the word only. It doesn't say you have to completely neglect yourself. But it says don't just be self-consumed. Also look for the needs of others. A right mind, see, cares for the needs of other people. No, let that be, by your grace, Lord, one of the marks of Real Life Community Church. I think it is, and I want to grow in this more and more. See, this means that we hurt when other people hurt. It means if I see somebody over this week of Christmas that has nothing, that it would be as to me if I as if I had nothing if I see somebody hungry or homeless or or without the proper clothes or a jacket, that it would be as if that were somebody in my own family and that it would move me to compassion as Jesus. That's a common verse in the New Testament in the Gospels. Jesus was moved with compassion. Oh, may we be a people moved with compassion. Christmas reminds us of this call to radically serve other people. As we talked about last week, um, one of the titles of Jesus that we find in the New Testament is Emmanuel. This is part of the Christmas story. He he is called Emmanuel, which means, Matthew says, God with us. And Last week we looked at the implications of the word God as used in this phrase, meaning that Jesus was more than a prophet or a good teacher or a moral man. No, this was God with us. He wasn't just a man to point us to God. This was God Himself dwelling amongst us. In These final verses in Philippians, we see the other part of this phrase, God with us, clearly portrayed and unpacked. Though He didn't cease to be God, that's important. Christ did, as part of this Christmas story, He did become fully man. And friends, he went to great lengths to identify with us. Christ willingly, think of this, took on the form of a servant, and his glory and his majesty became veiled. And Paul uses the incarnation, God in flesh, as an example for us to encourage us to serve other people in this way. Oh, you want to have the right mind? You and I, we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to learn to think like Jesus thinks. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, as Christians, we have the ability to think this way. It's radical. Verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What sacrifice. What love. Here's what this means. Having the right mind means I'm willing to lose out on something so others can gain. Jesus had every right, see, to stay comfortable in a position of power and authority and majesty, but instead he humbled himself and became God with us, Emmanuel, being born not to some aristocratic family, but no, to a poor Jewish family, to identify with the least of us. And he went to great lengths to reconcile us to God the Father. And Christ demonstrates this selfless love, willing to lose so that we might gain. Paul, think of him, he's willing to be imprisoned so that the gospel would move forward. His loss is someone else's gain. I was considering this this week as I was studying, and I thought, you know, a lot of people in church are willing to give as long as it doesn't cost them anything. I've had many people through the years talk about giving. By the way, I'm not taking an offering at the end of this. This is not to manipulate you to give. Um, I mean, if you want to give. But I was thinking back through this, and I thought, you know what? I've had many people over the years say to me, Pastor, you know what? I really wish we could give more and help the church out. You know, things are just really, really tight, though, and, you know, we want to help missionaries, and we want to, we want to help, you know, the church give and, 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 and just build and, and, and do projects and reach our community. But you know what? We just, we're just too tight. Uh, and, and I'm like, okay, I understand. What's interesting, though, is to watch these people drive fancy cars, own boats and motorcycles. Come on, it's quiet in here. Eat out five times a week, dropping 75 100 bucks a time, you know, from nice restaurants, taking the family of four out. That's expensive. Wearing, uh, you know, have a closet full of clothes, more than they could ever really possibly wear in a week, maybe a month. Designer clothes. But you know what? We're just not in a position where we can tithe or we can give an offering. What you really mean is this, if that's your take. It's, it's, here's what they're really saying. I can't live the life I want to live and give. It's not that I can't afford it. I just can't do everything I want to do and do this. So here's what they do. They give the crumbs, the leftovers, not the first fruits. And here's a part of my job as a pastor. Okay, my, part of my job as a pastor is this, is to prepare you, number one, for, uh, I, I believe, physical death, but also prepare you to stand before the Lord someday because if you're a Christian you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account how you spent your time, your talent and your treasure and he's going to say you were amongst the 2% um, top richest people in the world. By the way, every one of you in here are probably that. It's the top 2 to 3% richest people in the world and you don't own any of it. He owns it all and he's entrusted you He's entrusted you to be a steward of that money, to take the gospel forward. And you're going to stand before him someday and say, well, we took all these nice vacations. Lord, you wanted us to be happy. Why didn't you give to this missionary? Why didn't you do this? Well, you're going to have to explain that. And I I want us to give our very best for the right reasons. We don't give him the leftovers. Listen, we're willing to lose out on something so that others can gain. Just this um, last week, I had a conversation with, with my oldest son. As a matter of fact, uh, he graduated last year, and it's a thing now, I guess, in America. You have to take a senior trip. Do you all know that was a thing? All right. So, yeah, you graduate. Apparently, we owe you a trip. All right. That's how it works. So, I found this out, and everybody's taking senior trips. So, we said, hey, Dylan, where would you like to go? And, and we kind of decided, let's take a cruise, right? So, for a, a week cruise, how many ever been on a cruise, right? So, nothing wrong with that. So, I said, hey, let's do this, and uh, let, let, let's make this happen. Well, when it came right down to it last summer, um, the only way that we, we could afford to go, but it would mean I had to stop to in, uh, giving to some of my missionaries or get in mounds of debt, which is not good, is not biblical okay, to, to borrow money to go on vacation. And then I'd be stressed out the whole vacation going, how am I going to pay for this, right? And so I just I tragically had to say to Dylan, Dylan, we can't go on a cruise this year, but maybe next year. Well, this is the time we would book a cruise for next summer. And I just two weeks ago, or a couple of days ago, actually, had a conversation with Dylan, my, my oldest son. He's 19. And I said, Dylan, honey, I'm sorry. We're just not in a position right now. We're trying to to you know, to do some things financially. We're giving to, you know, some of these missionaries and things. And I said, listen, it's just not going to happen this year. And he threw an absolute tantrum. No, he didn't. Um, (laughs) You know what he said? He said, Dad, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. He said, you know what? Indiana's right down, uh, you know, pretty close to here, Indianapolis. He said, why don't we just go to a Pacers game? And he goes, let's just go to an NBA game. He said that. And I just thought, Wow. He's willing to lose out so somebody else can gain. I love it. I mean, I still have to take him to a game, so it's not like he's going to give away everything. But I love that. Verse 8, and being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This was more than physical death. This This was a humiliating death served for the worst of criminals. This is what Christ endured, and not only that, he bore the, the pain, the, the, the shame of our sin at Calvary, and he bore the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from, by the way. You've heard me say it before. We're saved from the wrath of God. And This is what Christ bore. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bore the wrath of God. The Scripture says here, he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, having the right mind means complete obedience, no matter the cost. When God lays something upon your heart, that means you meet that need I immediately. No other thoughts. I had somebody call me from our church this last week and asking me for somebody's address. And he said, the Lord laid this person on my heart to, give, to send them a check of $348 and some change. He said, I don't want them to know it came from me. I just want their address and try to send it without them knowing And I just had so much respect for this person because God, you you know, we'd go, well, this amount, like, why why this? You don't ask questions. When God lays something on your heart, you just do it, right? We need to have that attitude. When God says, serve someone, give to someone, we just do it. So Christ and his selfless act is our example for gospel-infused giving. And friends, this is what we're called to. And so you might ask me this morning, well, why should I? Why should I live my life for others? For one reason, Christ said to do so. So and that should be enough. But there's more because we serve a generous God. Watch this, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's reason to rejoice right there. And Paul wants us to be reminded of who Christ is and what he's done and who he is now. But there's more because remember he said, this is the mind I want you to have, this mind of Christ Here's what happened. Jesus humbled himself freely, and yet now he is exalted. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Bible teaches this, that if we will walk in humility and service to God and others, we will be rewarded. Now, hear me. Sometimes this comes in this life, And sometimes it comes in the life to come. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme, all right? This is not me going, okay, I want this, so I'm going to have to give this much today, and then God will pay me back. You're missing the point of giving. Okay, let me give you an example. And I know we're not supposed to talk about our giving, but this is a small amount. I'm not saying this braggadociously, but I want to just show you how this works at times, all right? Number one, uh, several weeks ago I was in my office. Actually, it's been months now. And there's this, uh, there's this organization called Charity Water, started by a, name, a guy by the name of Scott Harrison. And do you know that about a billion people in our world don't have the basic necessity of clean water? And I just sat in my office. I was listening to this story and these testimonies. I thought, man, while well, I'm sitting here living in luxury and, and complaining because I only have four outfits to choose from, you know, at, at a certain given day. Listen, there's somebody that doesn't even have clean water on the other side of the world. So I just prayed and I felt the Lord just lay on my heart to give a specific amount, thirty dollars a month, above my tithe that that I give to our the the church, and then above what we give to missionaries and all of that, give thirty dollars a month. And we don't have tons of extra money, but I just said okay, and joyfully, without thinking anything about it, just went online and put in this $30 a month commitment, and the first payment was taken out. And I didn't go, oh, man, God's really going to drop something in my lap for this. It wasn't even on my mind. But just how God is, I'll tell you what happened to me. Within a a couple days, here's what happened. Somebody came to church and said, we feel like the Lord just wants us to do this for you, and gave us um, a check and gift cards that totaled $3,000 exactly, which is 100-fold of the gift we gave. Okay, isn't that great? And it's not, listen, it's not that this is a get quick rich scheme. Uh, um, get rich quick scheme. There it is. I think I've said that wrong like four times. It shows you how much I think about money. I'm really not about money, all right? So l- listen, it's not that. I've given many times in my life, and, and I've, I've not had a, a return that I see in this life. It's not always some material blessing that drops in my life. As a matter of fact, I'd rather it come in heaven because I get to enjoy that for all of eternity. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth, but no, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? Where moth and rust will never destroy. But I just know this that God is faithful. So whether it comes in this, whether it comes in this life or the life to come, I just want to say if you give with the right heart, not to get something for yourself, like this is my only reason I'm doing this. If you'll give with the right heart and intent, I'm just saying God's faithful. We're, we, he wants us to be like conduit. I believe this, where he's constantly pouring in and we're constantly pouring out, okay? It's all his. He just wants us to be good stewards. I'm almost done here. I uh, want to just challenge you this morning in closing to do just a couple things. If you have your note sheet You'll see kind of a blank line on, on the bottom there. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Number one, I want you just this morning to consider what Christ has done for you. All the things we've talked about and, and oh, so much more. I want you to consider what Christ has done for you. And when you, when you do that, I, I pray that you'll be moved to give to others. Because that tends to be what happens. When you realize what Christ has done, you want to give to other people. And here's what I'd like you to do. I just challenge you. This is really easy, okay? I want everybody in here, I'm asking for 100% participation this morning. I want everybody in here just to pray and ask God this week to lay somebody on your heart that is in need. Perhaps there's a, one of our widows or widowers from our church who might need help this Christmas. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe just sitting with them or having coffee with them would just mean the world to them. Maybe there's someone who's lost their job and having trouble providing, and you're blessed, and you have a little extra. Maybe you can give. We have a few single moms here that are struggling to make ends meet, and let's just be generous one to another. Anyone who might be alone this Christmas. You may not have money today, but again, you have time, you have talent, you have treasure. You have one of those three commodities. And I encourage you to just ask God, one person. Listen, you should try to give to everybody you can, but let's. this is a good place to start. Lord, show me one person who's in need. And as we move through the hustle and bustle of the season, that we would just be a blessing to somebody. We'll close with this quote from J.I. Packer in his book, one of the greatest books I've read, called Knowing God. It says, he says this, He says, there are so many Christians, quote, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways and who leave the sub-middle-class sections of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on by themselves. He writes, the Christmas spirit does not shine out. In the, Christm- in the Christian snob. For Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow men, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others. And not just their own friends, but in whatever way there seems to be need. End quote. May we have our thinking shaped by the gospel. Let me just ask you, what would our church look like? What would our community look like if we, just even in this room today, this small amount, what if we just became this gospel-infused in our thinking? What would our community look like? I want to say thank you. Uh, by the way, let me, let me just mention this. Thank you for your generosity. Because many of you do sacrificially give here. It was the greatest joy. Last week, I told you, we got to send out $2,800 to missionaries for one month. $2,800 because you gave. Isn't that awesome? Here's our goal at this church. I want you to know the church that you're a part of. Here's our goal. Within five years, our aim is this. We're trying to pay off our building and everything else that we have. Here's our goal, that we would be able to give 51% minimum back out to missionaries and to our community. We want to give out more than we keep. Because that's what we want to be known for. We're a church who loves God and loves people. And we want to be known for radical generosity. Oh, not for our own glory. They may never write an article about us. That's not my goal. My goal is this, that people would see our generosity And that as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that they would see our works, our good works, and that they would glorify not us, but our Father who's in heaven.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.